to the Queer Mole cast. I'm Shim Sham. I'm sitting right next to me, thousands of miles away. (laughs) Thousands of miles. No, just right across the border. Hi, it's KJ, um, resident uh, musician, artist, uh, fabulous queen of the universe. Um, Oh, she is feeling herself (laughs) today. I look really good. I have to go someplace after we're done recording. So normally the two of us show up in our Sunday garb, which is you know uh today (laughs) i wanted to uh, i wanted to get all dressed up partially because i have to leave the house right after we're done recording so um i have a full day ahead of me um crazy socializing it's sunny (laughs) the world is so possible oh my goodness as long as it doesn't thunderstorm everything will be great because everything (laughs) i'm doing is outdoors for the next like six hours so i'm hopeful that i won't get rained out um, but how about you, Mama? Tell us a little bit about your journey this week. Um, well, well I wasn't expecting that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> should we start with a tarot card? Sure. Oh, I was just wondering, like, like how, like, how you were doing was really, was really the question. You don't have to get in too deep. Um, <laughs> You know, for me, kind of just same old, same old. Steady as she goes. (laughs) (laughs) Straight on till morning, you know. Exactly. (laughs) How was your week? You know, I, I, I think I was, I was saying it to you before we actually hit record. I am, I am, uh, getting over a cold. Last week, I think I had said to you and Junko that I had been feeling kind of blah. And then I had a cough and some of the symptoms were things I normally get with my allergies. But by Monday morning, it was pretty clear that I did not just have allergies. They were there and they were present. Very, very much so. But um, I also had a little bit of a cold. Tested for tested twice uh, negative for COVID, which is good. Um, And yeah, so today is like the first day I felt like almost healed. I just have this residual cough that won't go away. That's normal. That's every time I get an upper respiratory infection. So, ding. Um, (laughs) Speaking of which. um, But yes, should we jump in with our tarot card for today? Let's do it. I already pulled it. I need some mystical mysticism. Yes. I think think we need, I I lit some incense in the corner. I was going to light something in my cauldron, but I forgot. Um, So we've we've, we've just got some incense going in the background. Today's card is the Page of Wands. And I want to show you this card. Do you want to describe it for our listeners? Sure. It looks like we've got a person of color. They're kind of scantily clad. I'm assuming it's like, Native American or just some indigenous person and they're overlooking a sea or a river or it's beautiful. Yes. And of course they are holding a staff, which is the imagery often for the wands, the suit of wands. And I, the page of wands, I love when I get a court card because the court cards, so the, there's uh pips or suits where we have the pentacles, the wands, the, 
<coughs> excuse me, a moment I went to go speak, decided to cough. We have the swords and then we have the cups. <coughs> and the wands are usually fire energy, they're passion energy. And then we have the ace through ten, and then we have the court cards, the page, the knight, the queen, and the king. So the page is usually what's considered like the uh the the energy of a suit in a lot of ways uh the the messenger right because that's what a page is is the messenger and with wands you can always expect to find uh like things things that are telling you to tap into your gut instinct your fire your passion your creativity and right now we're kind of we're we're halfway through pride month happy pride and i think i'm i'm seeing a lot of queers who are utilizing that in really unique ways on social media to uh, push things forward. I just got sent a post from somebody today that they are doing free photography, like portrait photography for queers and their family and chosen family uh, for the rest of the month. So just really beautiful family style portrait photography for queers. Even if it's you and your cats, you and your beautiful fur babies, you and your roommate, you and your best friend, you and your group of queers, you and your partner or partners, lots of different ways to do that. I thought that was beautiful. And that really encapsulates like the page of wands energy. Um, when uh, the, 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 so reading from Cassandra Snow's book, Queering the Tarot, um, the, the when queering the page of wands, we take everything we've already queered about the wands, social justice, queer identity as its own passion and so on. And we bring that into the idea of the page as a messenger. If the page of wands is showing up a lot, you could be looking at someone who's maybe new to social justice or super fired up about a cause that you're looking to get involved with coming into your life. In a different type of queer reading, this is likely someone newly out or has just found queer community or are searching for new LGBTQIA uh, friends for the first time. This card can also indicate someone starting a path of act activism. So there's fire, there's spark, there's something new. And I think if, if we're going to take this as a messenger, I'm going to say it's less that it's something that some of us are feeling inside and something that we actually need to take as a hint, a sign. If we are sick to death of hearing about bullshit, it, it's too late to just be sitting and complaining about it. Got to do something and finding finding that spark, that passion, creating art, getting out there and organizing, meeting up with a group of people, uh, getting getting together um, some type of like a support group or a potluck or something to bring people together. Community organizing There's a lot of different ways, donating, um, reading up about an issue that you don't know very much about so that you're ready to educate the next ignorant person that comes into your life. Right. Like those are the things we need to do. And unfortunately, no matter how tired and exhausted and upset and frustrated we are, I think this card is telling us today. Got to got to do something. Got to find that fire inside of you. Find that spark because it's some bullshit out there right now. Yeah, <laughs> I, I totally feel that. I think that's exactly what it's saying is with all these don't say gay bills and um and just these Republicans in the media are so trans. It, it just feels everyone's so transparently transphobic and homophobic and racist. Yep. And um, and no one cares. Like those people are still getting elected. People still are voting for them. Um, we've been talking about here in Western Wisconsin. We have people running 
on the platform of getting rid of critical race theory, which just is, is wrong. And A, they don't understand what critical race theory even is. <laughs> no. I mean, like, this is actively happening. Like, it's, you can, it's one thing to watch it on TV and be like, those people are bonkers. But they're all around. <laughs> they're all around us. <laughs> no, truly, 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 they're all around us. And it's just, it's a, it's so much right now. And the problem is, is that, unfortunately, it's it like we're we're at a point right now where I think it's it's easy to look around and be like, is anybody gonna do something about this? And the answer is. If that's your thought process, which I'm talking to myself as much as everybody else, if our thought process is, shouldn't somebody be doing something about this? The answer is yes, and maybe you. Like, maybe us. Maybe exactly. we. Exactly. Um, Complacency yeah. isn't going to work because these people are in office. We're gerrymandered to all hell. <laughs> yes. Um, exactly. <laughs> oh, so, yeah, we need people t- to act and to... And to get involved in activism. I think people are hesitant to get involved in activism because they don't like confrontation. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I don't think they like conflict. But, yeah, so that's a good card. Yeah. And it's it's also, it's scary to stand up for what you believe in. It's scary to put yourself out in front of other people when something, when when, when you see an injustice. And... I want to like validate how scary those feelings are and also without saying get over it kind of like saying you got to find a way to move past that. You have to find a way to not be afraid. Uh, Mike and Aubrey talk about it all the time. It seems so much less like uh, of an aggression but like a lot of people have no problem standing in a crowded space and watching somebody who is fat or larger get like abused or bullied in public and just standing by and being like, well, that's par for the course. That's what a lot of people think about us queers. That's a lot of people think about black indigenous people of color. That's what a lot of people think. And again, like you said, they keep voting for these nightmares to stay in office. And I don't care how many of my Republican loved ones have said, you know, I'm just fiscally conservative, so I have to vote for the Republicans. Or I don't agree with a lot of what they say, but I just couldn't bring myself to vote for a Democrat. I'm like, it doesn't matter what you say. You are voting for the side of violence. And if you're voting Democrat, you have to ask yourself, what are you doing to hold the people that you voted to get into office accountable? Because again, we vote for them to represent us, but they need to know what they're representing and we need to kind of hold feet to the fire. Now that's our time. We've got the midterms coming up and the Democrats have done jack shit to help anybody at this point in time. It's been like 5% of what they said they were going to do. And at this point in time, they're about to lose in a huge storm of basically just a tidal wave of red at this point in time. So like, I don't know. I don't like, like I'm not telling anybody like exactly what they have to do, but find the thing you feel like you can do and do it. Can't talk about it anymore. Well, there you go. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. I'm feeling particularly fired up about it. Like it's, it's pride month. And I feel like, it's easy to get swept up in like, it's Pride Month. We want to celebrate. We want to have like, want to go to parties. We want to, you know, go out and have fun. But the reality is, is that Pride is, <laughs> it is a, an, it is activism. Celebrating Pride is activism. And if you take it for just a party and not for what it really is, then you're kind of taking for granted what it, what even created the ability for us to have this parade in this party in the first place. And 
I think that there are a lot of queers who are totally with us on that. And there are maybe some queers who maybe fall more on a cis white heteronormative kind of cis gay side that might feel like maybe it's not for them, even though they have more power and privilege. So I don't know who I'm talking to right now who's listening, but um, <laughs> maybe one day someone will be listening and maybe that'll hit home with someone. We're talking to you, Carol. Come on. <laughs> We're talking to you, Benjamin. I don't Carol. know. Carol. <laughs> Carol and Benjamin. Uh, don't be a Carol and Benjamin. No. <laughs> but so I'm really, yeah, that that really uh, spoke to me. And I love it when I get the wands uh, at a time where I'm feeling ready to do something. Because it's usually like, okay, here it is. The little like kick in the butt that you need to like get up and try and like do something. And yeah, I've got my passive donations. My, my here I am virtue signaling. No, but 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 I do. I, I have my my monthly donations that just come out of my account. They they happen every month. I try to choose a couple of other things to put put a little money around because I'm doing better than I've ever done financially. But I am certainly no rich queer. Um, so we're you know we're we're doing what we can. But now I'm ready to take a little bit more of an active role, and I'm wondering if more of us are are you know we're feeling more ready for that. So take this as your sign if that's what you're thinking. Go for it. Do it. Oh. I listen to the Queer Mole cast, and that's my intro to activism. I mean, if we can introduce one person Those at this point gals. in time. Those gals <laughs> just get me so pumped. Well, you know, if we could, it, we'll make it like an MLM. We get one person in on it. They tell <laughs> at least one person, and they tell at least one person. It doesn't multiply the way we want it to, because it's an N of one. But <laughs> eventually, we reached fives of tens of people. Oh. Wonderful. So, Mama, I would like to transfer this conversation, just just, just move it, in the direction of our topic for today, which I believe you are going to kind of walk us through some things about uh, working in the medical field as a queer person, how the medical field has and has not changed for queer people, and also kind of wherever that rabbit hole sort of pulls us in yeah you know i kind of just want to have a casual conversation about it we're not going to cover everything because it's a huge topic i mean we could talk until we're dead and we wouldn't cover it all (laughs) i know so i'm a nurse and my first thought is um i don't know if anyone watches call the midwife on uh what uh, it's a bbc british show um, but it's about these uh, midwives uh, in, I think it's like the 19... It's whenever England first got the NIH, their socialized healthcare system. Uh, and so England just gets socialized healthcare. Suddenly everyone has access to healthcare. And so these midwives go from home to home helping women have babies and helping them in their pregnancies. And so as a nurse, I think it's a super cool show because you see um, the nursing technology (laughs) back then. (laughs) And there is no technology, right? (laughs) We're like, we're using buckets of water and cloth. And we're like, we're taking blood pressures. um, But that's about it. (laughs) And we're using lots of, um, in that show. So anyway, what's my point? A little bit of a sidetrack. But... I I brought that up to kind of talk about how nursing is a very female industry. It's a very female role. Um, 
I'm obviously not a history expert, but I always hear this little thought of, at one point, all the nurses were men. And I don't think that's ever been true. Maybe in the military. (laughs) Maybe in the military, nurses were all male for a bit. But in the United States, nursing tend to stem from uh, nuns. Lots of nuns were working as... uh, basically untrained nurses and that's why we have so many religious hospitals because those institutions then became hospitals and actually hired and trained nurses back in the good old bloodletting days and the good old humors days what what was it like up down i forget i forget what the humors were but just like oh. when when healthcare was kind of more uh bananas before germ theory when they thought um miasma bad and good energies are what made us sick and you know Uh, what maybe a little bit of that too we have learned that like placebo effect is real so some of that might not have been totally off but if there's more to it than sure but if you've got a staph (laughs) infection you know I, I can't positive energy that Get away. that girl some <laughs> antibiotics. So anyway, this is kind of a long, boring journey into so uh, into now. So kind of like a brief... So this is a very female industry. It was lots of nuns. You know, uh, some of the first nurses were wet nurses, women who got pregnant around the same time as other usually rich women to help breastfeed babies. So it's a very... This, in, this type of care... You know, we're used to our mothers taking care of us. Um, anyone who's a mom knows that you have to have a base. I mean, you basically are a nurse if you're a mother. You're <laughs> you're giving medications. You're monitoring symptoms. You're you know you're clean up cuts and scrapes. Um, and just generally giving direct care all the time. Like exactly. So uh, so anyway, uh, now that brings me into nursing because uh, men are nurses. And as I as a genderqueer non-binary person, um, I'm male. I look like a man. So um, and I live in western Wisconsin, so I don't come out to every single patient. <laughs> um, I'm very uh, I'm, I'm very open. If someone, you know, I don't hide my identity, but I work with lots of different types of people and my focus is the care is providing the care to the patient and meeting their needs my focus isn't me and my identity but that being said um men and i'm gonna use the term men and i guess i'm just meaning uh, assigned male at birth people who present as male um, working in healthcare is a little bit strange. And then as a non-binary person, because lots of men take the approach of being a very macho nurse. They're very masculine and macho, and I can lift you from this bed to that bed. And, and like, I, I've met so cisgendered straight male nurses. <laughs> I also can't identify with, because they usually take this kind of macho masculine approach to giving care. Whereas I am, uh, I'm going down so many tangents. So what I'm trying to say is that um, I think a lot of patients don't know how to take me. I'm very caring and very nurturing person, but when they see I'm a man, they often don't uh, feel comfortable with, um, you know, like I have to put catheters in women, help women clean up 
uh, vaginal infections and help them with care in that area. And I just, I think I deal with a lot of people preferring female caregivers, and I think that's just society. But then I'm also dealing with homophobia at the same time. <laughs> that was the part that I was about to jump in with, that that the a lot of the very, very careful and not um, not detailed stories you tell me, because you there, you know, we don't want to be a HIPAA violation here. Exactly. But, you know, the, the, the things that you do tell me, is, you know, center a lot around there, you know, a lot of these questions that can be very like microaggression that become more macroaggressions over time, where by the end of the day, you've been misgendered by every single person you've dealt with. You've been asked three times uh, about your spouse, woman only. <laughs> and you know what I mean? Like, like, by, by the end of the day, you're like, I'm you, you said before, you know, it's it's you caring for a patient. And I totally agree with that. And also as an educator who it is me educating mostly young minds, my identity still matters and who I am as a person still matters. I am not a cog in a machine. I am also a human and you are also a human. And to be in some ways, it might be considered minor, but over over time, it becomes major dehumanizing after a while where people are like, you work for me or I am in charge of you. And you're like, no, I'm a human being here to help you. But ultimately, I can walk away from this situation if I have to, right? Like, you're not going to abuse me. So I think I, I it, it sounds to me that one of the things you're saying is that you, you're, you're in healthcare because you are a kind, nurturing person that wants to help people. And also, sometimes the people you want to help are unable or in a lot of cases unwilling to come on the journey to understand who you are a little tiny bit which is difficult because you're also up against not just homophobia but also people are uncomfortable because they don't they recognize that you are quote-unquote male presenting but also that you're a little bit a different way right? a little bit of fae <laughs> a little bit of fae um which think- again <laughs> yeah, I think maybe not so articulately. That's what I was trying to finally get at, is that I'm always dealing with this tight rope of expectation. They expect me to be a man based on my uh, how I they physically see me. Um, and But then at the same time, I'm, I'm not a man. I'm queer and I'm feminine and I give my care that way. And so I'm constantly riding this tightrope of expecting me to be a man and homophobia and then being used to female caregivers. And just so it's no, it's, of, it's like you can't win on either side. Yeah. And it's kind of complicated as I'm saying it. I'm finding it hard to articulate exactly what that tightrope is. It's because it's all wrapped up in the gender binary, which is a total construct and completely bullshit. But you're also dealing with people who, for the most part, are in their 60s, 70s, 80s, and or 90s. Like, you're dealing with people who are of a certain age where, I'm sorry, I'm just gonna say it, older people can learn too. And when people say, well, they're old, I'm like, nope, fuck that. Plenty of people in my life who are that age who have figured it out. Yes, some of your patients might be sick and might have dementia as well, so there's more to it than that. But a lot of the time, they are fully cognizant of the things that they are refusing to learn. So... Just yeah, out there. I don't have to be compassionate. You might have to. I don't. So. <laughs> also, um, I think another thing I was trying to get at. Again, <laughs> I'm a little bit scrambled today, but um, in society, 
men are um, perpetrators of sexual assault. Men are, there's the male gaze. We're used to men objectifying women. And we're kind of, so when we see men, we're always kind of expecting that. So as a queer but male presenting person in healthcare, I think that's why people are hesitant for male presenting caregivers. Because we're used to men being perpetrators of sexual violence. And nursing is a very intimate, especially for female patients. And so it's interesting to um, kind of be confronted with that when you're trying to provide care, people being very uncomfortable. And you can sometimes, especially if it's a patient you can sense is open-minded, you can kind of jokingly be like, oh, honey, I, I want nothing that you got. <laughs> <laughs> But then at the same time, if I'm providing care to a male patient, to also convey that this is professional, this is very intimate and uncomfortable, you don't... So, yeah, it's we're, we just live in a society where we're used to women having to care for people in that way. And when it's not a woman... A quote, and that's and and that's also gendered, right? This stereotypical cisgendered female nurse that we're expecting, mm-hmm. and nurses are people and diverse, just like your patients are. So, anyway, that's kind of the gendered aspect of nursing. I kind of wanted. To, it's very complicated and very. It's it's kind of weird to deal with every day at your job. Well, and also another thing that came up is that you were you, you were talking about all these like very intimate like like situations that, that you as a nurse and as a nurse get your nurse <laughs> you as a nurse end up having to be in in the in the throes of the care that you give, and yet for the longest time specialist doctors were only men, so every single gynecologist was a man, and one of the most intimate things that most like people with vulvas have to do when they go into the doctor is uh, usually for the longest time up until a very 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 short time ago was primarily with a man a cisgender man of some sort and it is just interesting it's interesting how society moves in a direction and starts to cherry pick what they're willing to like enter uh, allow into their brain as a possibility or as something they're comfortable with and I, I I can imagine that there are times while you're working where some of the reasons that it's it's an exhausting day is that the job itself wouldn't be so hard if you also, as a queer person, didn't have all these other incredibly difficult barriers that keep popping up in front of you and obstacles and emotional like like it, it like, like emotional baggage. What's the word I'm looking for? Oh, emotional labor, emotional labor that you have to put in that goes unnoticed and also, frankly, goes unpaid. Right. (laughs) And also, I think that speaks to the misogyny that still exists because, so that male gynecologist, you're right, forever um, obstetricians and gynecologists were large part men. And I think that's because, so women seen as nurses, the misogyny comes in because uh, nurses didn't get the same respect as the doctor did in the past. still don't a lot of the time. Yeah. Depending upon where you are. Nurses aren't seen as experts in their field. What people don't understand is nurses aren't uh, assistants. We're we're experts in our own field of nursing. 
Um, our job isn't to diagnose you. Our job is to treat you and provide you care. And that's where we're experts. Um, whereas doctors are diagnosticians. They diagnose and prescribe. <laughs> right? But they don't provide right. care. Um, not in the same day-in, day-out way that nurses do. And so, and, and I think uh, for the longest time we were willing to give doctors that respect, not just because of their education, because if you look at the early 1900s, doctors' education was, <laughs> right? I, I don't even know when they started requiring doctors to have a license. I don't even know when that started, because it wasn't forever. In the I, 1800s, I, I don't think doctors needed a license. They just basically faked it. I think in the, the the very, very late 1800s, John Hopkins might have become one of the first, like, accredited, like, doctor training programs. I remember Aubrey on Maintenance Face saying something about it in the Snake Oil episode. Oh, about yeah. How, yeah, but, but to be honest, but yeah, even late 1800s, we're talking less than 150 years ago. Right, because like, the, first, uh, the first nursing licenses and nursing certifications weren't until the early 1900s. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, but I, so I think the, uh, doctors got that respect, uh, largely because they were men and then nurses were, so you're still kind of dealing with that. Nurses come into the room and the patients kind of being like, well, I want to see the doctor. <laughs> and you're like, yes, and you will, but there's all this stuff I have to do first. Right. And not realizing that, um, uh, the doctor is the expert in the disease and the diagnosis, um, but in the actual providing of care, I have doctors ask me all the time for what I recommend as far as wound care and the right bandages and um, what for what the patient needs. Doctor re- Doctors rely on nurses and their expertise, also because doctors can't be 100 places at once. No, just like a nurse can't be 100 places at once. It's, yeah. The whole medical team is supposed to work as a team. And I think some doctors, I've I've been, like my, my current doctor's office, I feel like there is a bit of a, bit more of a symbiotic relationship between the nursing team, the lab team, and the practitioner team. That there is, it's a smaller clinic too, so they do work in much closer proximity to each other. And I think... That's kind of where it works better. I think the larger hospital systems, maybe, and this is maybe transitioning us into some of the issues with healthcare in general, mm-hmm. but some of the larger like systems of healthcare, it's just too big for people to like fully be able to work in a symbiotic sort of relationship. So it becomes the doctor is the head of the hierarchy, which I some people might argue makes sense. I personally, as somebody who just experiences the medical industry uh, passively, um, I would I would argue that the people I spend the most time with are not the doctors, right? I spend more of my time with, hell, I spend most of my time with reception. They have to know what the fuck they're doing. Reception has to know what they're doing. Right, and actually, <laughs> if you talk to doctors nowadays, doctors are very frustrated because doctors work for the health system. Mm-hmm. And and the health system is putting so many restraints on doctors. They want 15-minute appointments. They want people in and out. Like, so if you talk to a doctor, a doctor very much would say they don't feel like they're in charge. Uh, they might be in charge of the patient's plan of care, but they have all these restrictions. I know doctors, I know a lot of retiring doctors who say that they got to get out of the medical field because it's changing and it's changing 
kind of for the worse in a lot of ways. And and they're at an age where they're like, I either do it now or I have to make a weird transition and then leave. Right. So, so I, I get where they're coming from. I also want to point out that there's an incredible privilege in just being able to say, well, I guess I'm done early. Because um, there's a lot of us who that's never going to be true for. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, I, I know when people say, well, I had to retire early. You're, not everyone can do that. It's like, no, you, you chose. You didn't have to. Because that's... Uh, Weird, weird, weird segue, but just, just, just come with me. Um, there, we, we just for some reason rewatched The Devil Wears Prada yesterday. We were just in a weird mood in the afternoon. That's what we wanted to watch. Mm-hmm. And Meryl Streep has this line to Anne Hathaway at the end, after Anne Hathaway kind of screws over Emily Blunt a little bit, and then Emily Blunt gets hit by a car. Um, they, <laughs> uh, she's, she's like, well, I didn't have a choice but to, but, but to do this. And, and Meryl Streep looks right at her, is like, no, you had a choice, and you made the choice. You made the choice to get ahead. And that's sort of where privilege lies. If you have if you have the ability to make a choice, that choice is a privilege in a lot of ways in a country like America where you don't get to opt out of the system, but the system often doesn't work for everybody. So it's 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 because that's to kind of bring that back to healthcare, like. We, we we have this idea in the United States, and this is not, we are not putting any new, like, we are not saying anything Rachel Maddow or a ton of other people who are pundits have said before. Um, tons of other podcasts with way more expertise in this. But the healthcare industry works for very few people. It works for mostly people who are making money from it. And it is an industrial complex, just like the military. And it all relies on the fact that Americans in general believe that they have freedom and choice, when in reality... We're locked into something that we have no ability to change. And there's this weird idea that, yeah, we have the freedom to just go in and see a doctor at any time, but that doesn't mean you can pay for it. That doesn't mean your insurance is going to pay for it. Just because you can get a quick appointment doesn't mean you're going to be able, you're not going to be paying for it for the next 20 years or more or have to declare bankruptcy or, you know, like, like there's, there's a, like medical debt is one of the worst types of debt in the United States. And I think for queer people, there's a lot of queer people who also are like, and on top of not being able to afford a doctor's appointment, I can't find a doctor who's willing to give me some type of queer affirming care. Oh, that should be our transition. Oh, but before we, I just talked about the gendered aspects. I oh, did yeah. want to say, I am interested to see <clears throat> how that changes because right now um, in healthcare, everyone seems to be women. Your doctor's most likely going to be a woman. A lot of times your nurse is going to, just women are kind of dominating the healthcare scene. And I think that's exciting to see lots of women doctors. I think that's very cool. Um, And so I think that'll be interesting to see how, because you're right, stereotypically, I think a lot of people expected a male doctor. And so anyway, I'm just, I'm I'm excited about more and more women dominating the field. Um, I think that's good progress. But... Back to queer people. <laughs> I was going to say, because uh, what my point, because yes, I agree. It is great to see more gender diversity in, in fields, but also it plays into this gender binary of more women. Yay. Which I agree with, but also eh, that's not the whole picture. And also w- w- women who identify how women who are of what ethnicity women who, you know, like there's, exactly. It is such a, it's, it, it's storied, right? At the very exactly. Least. And so 
But I, uh, but you brought up something that I think is really uh, good to talk about is queer people finding health care. Yeah. That is still just awful. Um, so here in western Wisconsin, there I don't think there are any practitioners. Um, so I used to work for, so we do have, uh, uh, we had one practitioner. It's the, I think it's called like the Joyful Doc Clinic. And uh, they are a practitioner who doesn't take insurance. And doctors do that to lower their costs. Because when you don't take insurance, um, you are able to keep your costs lower, even though that does mean everything will be cash payments. You need payments for everything. But uh, when you, because when you take insurance, there's, it, it makes everything so much more expensive. Anyway. And that my... goes into the whole, the, 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 the whole thing with insurance and the pricing book that every hospital has and all this other bullshit, which we don't yeah. have time to get into today, but I just wanted to bring it up for a second. <laughs> um, but uh, th- this is one of the few practitioners in the Chippewa Valley who uh, I know is very willing to prescribe hormones to trans people and who actually has some knowledge in uh, transgender healthcare. Um, so, and, and, and that's just, so here in the Triple Valley, if you're LGBTQ at all, doctors really aren't prepared for that. I know when I wanted STI testing, um, physicians are just so trained for heterosexual people. And um, they don't really know what questions to ask or what your exposure risk is to certain things. Um, You know, I had no one really offering to do, like, a a rectal swab or exam. Not that I want that. Who wants that? Nobody. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, thank goodness you asked me. I'm so excited. Right. No one in the right mind wants that. But if I'm a, a queer person and that I'm largely having oral and anal sex, like, those are the areas you should be assessing. And I've never once had a, a physician who knew that. Also, I'm sorry. What in the world am I supposed to do with that little toothpick up there? I'm sorry. That ain't going to do nothing for me. <laughs> no, but Siri. No, I, I agree. Like, uh, and I, I have kind of a different experience because I moved over to Minneapolis. And Minneapolis is a much larger metropolitan area. And there's a lot of problems here. I'm not going to sit and be like, this is a utopia for Mm -hmm. queer people and marginalized people. Because Lord knows it is not. We were on the news for over a year about our police force and it hasn't gotten any better. So there's a lot of problems here. But one thing I will say is that moving here, there were a lot more options. Um, I was able, like, there are several places in Minneapolis that if you live in the city center somewhere, there are a lot of places that do free STI like testing and H- HIV testing. When I go in for my, uh, when when I go in for my physical every year, that's a part of my physical and it's just included in my care. Um, I get uh, blood screening, I get like STI screening, and I also get like my my blood work done and blah blah blah, all of that. And um, that wasn't true when I lived in Wisconsin. When I lived in Wisconsin, I I made 
like a thousand dollars too much to be on badger care but i didn't make enough money to be able to afford monthly payments on you know the marketplace and that was one of the major issues with the affordable care act was that there were the people left in the medicare gap and unfortunately in wisconsin the medicare the, the medicare gap is gigantic because wisconsin sucks at governing because we can vote in a progressive, a more progressive governor, and then the rest of the political situation in Wisconsin is bollocks. So, and that's only recently, because yeah, very recently we got Tony Evers. It was Scott Walker Scott for way Walker. too long. <laughs> we don't have time to get into that piece of Mm-mm. shit, but we should do an entire episode on garbage Wisconsin politics because <laughs> we lived together through a lot of that oh, and terrible nightmare. But anyway. So, yeah, moving moving to Minneapolis, I had a lot more options for health care, and I ended up somehow finding a, a, a trans non-binary individual who also takes my insurance who can be my therapist, which is wild <laughs> that it happened. And at any moment, that could go away. My insurance could change, and they might not be able to take my insurance anymore. And that is a point of anxiety um, because that's the other problem with the whole freedom of our healthcare system, quote unquote. Um, at any moment, your insurance could change, and that doctor or that place that they work for is like, "Sorry, we don't take that insurance anymore." Bye. Good oh, luck. and that also brings me. This is a bit of a rabbit hole, but mental health care and queer people, um, we have we have trauma. We don't we don't have PTSD for every person. That's a disorder when your trauma right. severely is impacting you in psychological and physical ways. Um, so many people say I have PTSD when they mean they have trauma. <laughs> yes, and that bugs exactly. me because PTSD <laughs> is um, an es- is is very is different than just having trauma. Um, But anyway, so queer people growing up in the United States all have some form of trauma. I think no matter where they live, even if you live in a progressive area. Um, So I think mental health care for the queer community is very important. So working in the medical industry, we've become more aware of mental health, but we we don't treat it well in this country. So here's what we've you done. You don't say. <laughs> so yeah, so here's what we've done. Your doctor's office is now required to at almost every visit ask you about depression and anxiety. That's yes. great. But <laughs> then you're seeing this primary doctor whose training in psych- psychotropic medications is very minimal, but they can prescribe it, which is good. And so they're going to throw you on maybe an antidepressant. And and oftentimes, because they have way too many patients and they're way too overworked, they're not going to offer you a counselor. <laughs> they're not going to... Or they might send you to behavioral health. And, and then you find out it's a six-month waiting list and you just give up. Or you find out that these costs are going to be all out of pocket. So, like... Your primary doctor might throw you on a Band-Aid of an antidepressant, which may or may not make you feel better. It may make you feel worse. Um, they're not going to follow up with you. They're not going to call you in a couple of weeks and see how, say, hey, how's it going? They're going to put all of it, all of the burden on you, the patient, to follow up, to come back, to schedule more appointments. And guess what we know about depression and anxiety? <laughs> You're not on... T- 
You're not on top of your shit when you're feeling. And they just put you on this medication that may or may not make you feel like a depressed zombie. (laughs) Well, gee, you're just making it sound so enticing. So (laughs) for anyone struggling with mental health, um, and also if you have a story to share, please let us know. Do we do we put our email address at the bottom of the thing? I have been remembering to put it. I'll have to make sure I put it on this one because I think I forgot last week. We are at, uh, let me just make sure I get this right because I did change our email a couple of months ago. Our email is, drum roll please. Thequeermocast at gmail.com. And I will put that in there. Because yes, if you have, please, if you have stories you would like to share, if you have... um. Things that have worked for you in the past, ways that you have kind of worked within or around the system a little bit, because those are the the little ticks, tricks and tips that I think in a lot of ways we all benefit from. Because frankly, this system don't care about us. Mm. <laughs> it uh it's it it would it would just as soon see us all die if we can't pay. I know that sounds really dramatic, but come on now. And it's overburdened right now. I, yes, and it's and it's overflowing, overworked. There's too few healthcare providers and way too many patients. Gee, I wonder why there are not enough providers working. Is maybe there's something that's been happening over the last couple of decades? Right. Let me put my finger on that. And the <laughs> and the shortage did exist before COVID. It's just been exacerbated because. Oh, I was I was going even pre-COVID with that. Oh um, yeah. Yeah, regulation changes. Um changes in healthcare that were positive but also didn't go far enough not holding insurance companies accountable for their bullshit even though we should have probably just destroyed the whole industry on the ground um when we had the chance because once again democrats had both sides of the aisle and they still couldn't fucking get them i'm sorry i'm still mad uh because again it it is a policy thing and there's also a lot of people who work in healthcare that have more power than they want to let on, Bethesda doctors, who uh, are content to just say, if it doesn't benefit me, I don't want it to happen. Yeah. And that's that's where we get moderates and people who say they're left but lean a little more right, um, who kind of make decisions for the rest of us, even though primarily in the United States, it is overwhelming that we agree that even if it's not universal healthcare, getting getting major overhauls to our system is so important. And it protects the most marginalized and the most vulnerable from and we like like we we haven't touched on on a lot of marginalized groups who have many, many issues with the medical industry. Right. And because it, it's <laughs> the problems with healthcare is so huge and so vast. You couldn't you couldn't even cover it. In a, like, in a month. <laughs> no, we would have to do an entire month's worth of episodes, and even then, we would still only be able to focus on, like, one dissertation worth of information. I just, I guess what, what, what I really, like, my question for you is, what if, if you had the ability to make a couple of changes immediately, what, would, what, what are some things that, now that you've worked within the system... And the knowledge you had before, what would you change immediately? Sure. And I, I just wanted to quickly bookend the mental health. I didn't want to paint it as completely bleak. Um, it's not great 
and there's so many problems. But if you listen to the comedian Maria Bamford, uh, she gives <clears throat> us great advice, and she says, "Get that shitty free healthcare. Get that shitty free healthcare." So go to your your free clinics. I mean, it's not perfect. But it is out there, and if you are struggling with depression and anxiety or any other mental illness, um, get help, because there is treatment. Um, it isn't perfect, and you'll have a thousand stories. <laughs> but uh, but get, get the health care, because avoiding it is not the right answer. So anyway, back to the question. Um, what would I change immediately? Definitely one of the first things that comes to mind is we need mandatory nurse-to-patient ratios. Um, because I think California is the only state with it. It creates jobs for nurses, and it makes it makes hospitals safe. Because with COVID, what happened is nurses would be out sick, you'd be short staff, and a nurse on a hospital on a busy hospital floor would have six or seven patients. And people don't understand that there's way too many. And so not only are you jeopardizing patient care, but you're burning out that nurse. So many nurses, well, they're either leaving the nursing profession entirely or they're leaving bedside nursing. And as much as you might hate bedside nursing, <laughs> if you're a nurse, it's needed. We need bedside nurses. We're always going to need bedside nursing. So mandatory nurse-patient ratios is definitely one of the first things that come to mind. And then for pa patients, we got to... I don't know the right answer because I don't think anybody does, but we need universal health care, however that is. I don't know if it's Medicare for all, if I don't know how what that looks like, but it has to be addressed. And right now the government is just thinking it's too complicated and too controversial, so we're going to ignore it. But right now we live in a class system when it comes to health care, and only the rich can get it. And there's a reason why geriatric health care is like so booming, because it's the only group of people who have health care. <laughs> because... Yeah, it's oh, and again, when we when we focus on all these things, like those those uh, policies would be amazing because it would also solve certain issues, and they would have to be paired in tandem with queer rights and uh, Black Indigenous people of color rights for all, like like being codified into law in a way that they just aren't. And and also that they're currently like the 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 major but also in a lot of ways small gains we've made over the last couple of decades are being it's it's so it's 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 they're they're being wiped away. And it's really clear once again how progress is hard won and how quickly if we stop paying attention and the other and the people who want to take it away, if they feel like they can take an inch, they will take a mile as quickly as they possibly can. And that's what they're doing right now. They're there. And again, I don't want to paint this as completely bleak because there are things that we can do. And we spent a decent chunk of time at the beginning with our tarot card uh, really talking through that. But the reality is, is that um, we can't we can't wait for the system to change in the way that we want it to change. And we can't assume that just because a majority of people don't agree with something that's happening, that it won't happen. Because we've seen throughout history 
within the last hundred years how an entire group of people can disagree with how something is happening and it still happens. Well, it's happening right now. Most Americans don't agree with these don't say gay bills and they're being passed. Most Americans want some form of gun control and it's not happening. Most Americans want access to some form of abortion. I know that's controversial. Not everyone is like us where... You know, we think everyone should have an abortion, you know, all the time. No. <laughs> but, but I think having most Americans support abortion being safe and having access to it. So you're, you're right. It's happening right now constantly. I mean, we can't even pass, I forget what it was called, but they wanted to pass the Equal Rights Amendment that was going to guarantee. Yep. ERA. And I don't know if that was the one that was going to guarantee that men and women be paid the same. And again, that's binary language. It doesn't think of queer people. But um, we can't even get that shit passed. <laughs> like, that, that's the thing is that uh, our entire system of government is built upon not getting stuff done. Like right. truly through, through throughout history, you can see it. The only time we can get stuff done is when a, we want to spend more money on military spending because for some reason we can always seem to get that passed immediately. Um, uh, looking at you, uh, left side of the aisle that said that you wouldn't vote for more of that and then did it anyway. Um, when it was politically quote unquote advantageous anyway, but it's, it's also, it's, it's true that, uh, it, the, so, Sorry, I was I was trying to formulate a thought as I was talking, and it didn't it didn't come to fruition. So let me change tax and say this. Once again, down in the show notes, we will have our email address if you would like to uh, write in about anything, any stories you have, any questions you have, anything that you would like us to talk about on this or or like issues that surround this, and also. As always, we will have an entire list. It's growing every single week of resources for you to find ways to get involved. Uh, most of them are large, overarching, uh, but smaller uh, smaller entities. I'm not, uh, I don't have the NAACP because most people know how to find the NAACP, but I do have smaller entities that deal with similar issues on all of these issues, abortion rights, trans rights, um, LGBTQ in general rights. Um, so just make, make sure that if this is something that is important to you, that, that you find a way to take actionable steps that make you feel a part of something make you feel like you are doing something. And the best thing you can do for yourself is that if informing yourself has become throwing yourself down a pit of despair, you're no longer informing yourself. You, you're you informed and you know. <laughs> and it's okay <laughs> to look away for a second for the sake of being able to come back and fight again. Yeah, absolutely. That um that healthy balance of staying informed but not <laughs> over-consuming, uh, it's tough. It, it's tough. And also it depends on what you're uh, paying attention to, whether it's newspapers, online articles, TV. Um, not every show is worth watching because some shows paint a doom and gloom picture that I don't always think is helpful. And then some shows make it seem like everything is fine, <laughs> which I also don't think is accurate. <laughs> no. Um, I think I think we need to 
we need to see the ways in which there are still really cool, beautiful, wonderful things going on in the world. And I think sometime in the future, I would like to do an episode that is just focused on here. Here are some of the really wonderful things that are happening and good things that have that 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 we have seen improvement on so that we can also focus on that a little bit. But also we can't lose sight of the fact that a lot of like queer people are in danger right now. Black people are in danger right now. Like the people, people of color in general, black indigenous people of color are in danger right now. We are not at a time where it's, it's safe to go outside as somebody who is not of what is considered the average norm here in the United States. And the United States is not alone in that, but the United States is loud about it. And the United States is much more violent about it on a daily basis basis so just a reminder if you are an ally thank you for being here we love you also call it out when you see it utilize that privilege move through life with a little bit more focus if you can in the coming months on utilizing whatever privilege and whatever weight you can throw around use it a little bit when it's (laughs) safe and when it's useful please go for it and also If you feel like there is something else that you want to be a part of, feel free to reach out to us because I have absolutely no problems finding a way for you to get involved in your local area if you're not sure where to start. Because that is something that I've been really enjoying learning how to do recently. So, and yeah. Yeah, Yeah. and when it comes to the healthcare topic, I think we'll probably revisit it because we didn't, there's so much. We we basically were, that was just a broad vent. We didn't even talk about the really queer people's experience in healthcare and being a patient or, you know, and we didn't dive into fat people and their um, uh, experience with healthcare, uh, black, indigenous people of color, all people of color, you know, uh, we didn't even really get into those issues. So um, definitely. This was a scratch the surface kind of an episode. Exactly. I mean, we it, talked for an hour and we barely made it through what we made it through. I know. So just wanted to, point that out that we know that this was lacking <laughs> but at the same we, time we would like to just zoom <clears throat> out for a second and do the liberal podcasting <clears throat> uh, the leftist podcasting no it's it's completely true because there is so much to talk about here and no matter what an hour is never going to be long enough however the next time we do talk about this i definitely i've got a couple of books that i've been meaning to revisit and one of them does talk about the history of transgender issues in the united states and it is a huge section on healthcare for transgender individuals in the united states um it's an older book so it doesn't talk much about uh queer and non-binary folk um I think it names that, though, which was pretty progressive for the time it was written. Um, but I, I've definitely, I've been, I've been working on um, taking my schedule down a little tiny bit. I've had way too many things to do and um, kind of working for other people way too much. And I'm looking to find new ways to um, shift the hours. I'm, I'm an independent contractor, so the work I get is the work I get. And sometimes I say yes to everything because I'm like, well, if I say no to it now, is it ever going to come back again? Am I ever going to have that opportunity again? Um, but the reality is, is that I have too many things now, too many things on my plate, and I don't have time to do the things that I enjoy, which sometimes is reading a historical account of, <laughs> of transgender uh, health care in the United States. So my goal for the summer, 
Um, I kind of like this. Let's 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 make this an ending. Um, something for the future. Something something I'm working towards is having a little bit more time to to spend the time educating myself on the things that I want more information on, and I think also having time to enjoy our time is what helps us have more energy to fight the fights we need to fight. And even if that enjoyment time is a single afternoon a week where we just shut everything off for a second or turn everything on, whatever it is we want to do, and take that time. So I think that's that's the the thing I'm focusing on for the, for the rest of Pride Month is how can I shift my focus in my life less on production for others and more on, well, production for other people for their benefit financially mostly someone else's financial benefit and how can I benefit myself in ways that I can also go out and help benefit my community so how about you thoughts oh just um (laughs) I think that's good I think we all need to make find a a good balance in um self-care and not getting obsessed with working the grind because it's so easy to just be trying to make money and make money and because you got to live, but it's like, at what cost? I find the, when you live that lifestyle, you end up spending more money on things to make you less depressed. <laughs> so it's like, well, maybe, maybe work a little bit less and focus on getting a work-life balance. And I mean, I did just buy that vacuum cleaner yesterday, and I oh, gotta you tell you, stop. you. I gotta tell you, Girl. I spent a whole hundred and fifty dollars, which is actually a very big purchase for me. <laughs> She's been vacuuming all weekend. She I loves haven't that. stopped. Oh. I mean, my carpets have never been cleaner. Stop. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> but she did get loads of hoovering done. Oh, loads of hoovering. <laughs> So, oh, oh, I was just going to say, um, I think that's a perfect place to close. Thank you for listening. Have a good rest of Pride Month and take care of yourself. And we'll be back at the end of the month with a little bonus episode. We're going to do a little movie club. And We're going to do a movie a night. Par- We're going to do a movie night on Paris is Burning. So oh. please tune in for that in a couple of weeks. And... Slancha. ASMR. <laughs> well, I can't choke we on go. anything, though. Because <laughs> if I choke on something, I have to go to the hospital. Uh. <laughs> uh, my-